Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel and forecasts and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. I appreciate you being with us. This segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success Strategies. Check it out. It's training for commercial agents. There's 21 one-hour videos, or you can just listen to the audio portion. It's the commercialagentsuccess.com. Well, today we're talking about student housing, and student housing has been part of the multifamily world that's continued to do well, and a lot of people are very interested in it. And I think one of the, the concepts that uh, is starting to kind of move from, uh, though it's always been into student housing, it's starting to move into regular apartment is kind of the co-living aspect, how student housing properties are, are rented by the room. It started to happen in, in market apartments and, and in part kind of helping uh, with affordability uh, out there. But uh, uh, let's look at student housing in particular. What's going on? What should we expect moving forward? Is, is there, are we oversupplied? Are rents doing well? Let's check it out. Please welcome my guest. It's Carl Whitaker, and he's manager of market analytics with RealPage, and he's joining us on Skype. Carl, thanks for being with us, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Well, first of all, let me ask you about just overall, when you look at student housing performance, you know, what do you see for rental rates and, and occupancy? How is the sector doing? Sure. So in some of our, our early 2019 numbers, um, we're seeing performance pretty closely match what we saw in 2018. And uh, we've recently featured some 2018 and previous year's statistics on some webcasts that we've produced. But um, overall, you know, performance looks to be pretty steady. We're not necessarily seeing a lot of acceleration in performance in the industry right now, but all considered, um, just, uh, you know, considering how many new beds we've delivered over the past seven or eight years, I think demand is healthy enough that it's, it's kept performance pretty buoyant and pretty healthy this late in the cycle. Yeah, well, I have two children in college, and uh, it seems like the rents uh, are expensive. <laughs> they seem like the <laughs> rents are high. Maybe every, when you're on the paying side, everything seems expensive, right? Yeah. Um, so are the rental rates kind of flat? Or are they rising? Uh, overall, what do you see? So in 2018, we saw rents increase a little over 1.5%. Um, now, kind of like you mentioned, um, there's really two ways of looking at that. If you compare that to conventional performance, that might seem like a fairly low rental increase rate. But historically speaking for the student industry, you know, that's not terribly out of line with what we've seen in recent years. I think in, in 14 and 15, we were looking at cycle high rental increases of about 2.2, 2.3%. So really not a whole lot of change there. Um, you know, if you look at properties closer to campus, uh, we typically break those out into um, one half mile ranges and then half a mile to one mile of campus and then greater than one mile from campus. We do see properties closest to campus command monthly rents about $130 greater per month than their further away counterparts. But um, again, all considered uh, when looking at rental increases, we saw about 1.6% um, annual growth in 18. And I think as we move forward into 19, we'll probably see something around that range too. Okay, and do you see a similar uh, performance trend uh, with the distance from the college related to occupancy? 
Sure. So um, we actually see that even more pronounced in terms of occupancy. I think it's just a reflection of the, you know, the trend that, and perhaps your, your, your children in college can attest to this. They want to live next to campus. They want to live where all the amenities are and they want to be able to walk to and from campus. Now, that doesn't mean that properties further away can't outperform, but um, there certainly is a trend that students do want to live close to campus. And, um, and looking at 2018's occupancy, the market was sitting at about 93.5% occupied, but those properties closest to campus were about 95%. So we saw a pretty significant, um, a pretty significant premium on those closer to closer to campus properties. Yeah, and they both seem uh, pretty healthy, right? And uh, you mentioned that we've had a good bit of new supply. What what, what do you really see there? Are, are are we doing the right amount of new supply, or are we oversupplied? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think in the student side, it's specifically more so than the conventional side. You know, you've you've really got to break it down at the university by university level. Um, broadly speaking, I would say that we're probably building about the right pace over the past four years. The the real story has been that there is no story in terms of changing the number of beds being delivered. We've seen anywhere from 44,000 to, I believe in 2019, we're expecting about 40, 48, 49,000 beds delivering. Um, so there really hasn't been a lot of change there. I think developers have found that sweet spot between the, the mid to upper 40 um, range for annual beds delivering. But again, when you break that down on a campus by campus basis, you'll see some campuses that are probably teetering on the on the, the, the overbuilt side of things. And you'll see some campuses that really just haven't attracted a whole lot of new development in, in recent years. Yeah. Well, what do you expect moving forward, Carl, for occupancy and demand? Uh, are you, what are you seeing maybe for pre-leasing for the fall? So for our fall pre-leasing, we actually just compiled some statistics, and as of April, we saw that for fall 2019, pre-leasing is actually a little bit ahead of what we saw last year. Now it's a fairly marginal premium. We're looking at about 120, 130 basis points faster uh, pre-leasing than what we saw in 2018. So things may be shaping up to be a little bit stronger in 2019, but to counter that, we're also expecting, again, another um, 48, 49,000 beds delivering, whereas we only saw 43, 44 the year prior. So I think there's, again, kind of that balance there that, you know, barring some sort of near-term significant demand boost that we'll probably look at, again, a year where we see one and a half to two percent annual growth on rents and occupancy somewhere in that 93 to 94 percent range. Okay, we're talking with Carl Whitaker with RealPage about student housing. And Carl, when you think about student housing and demand, are demographics favorable for student housing or do we expect a good demand to still be there as, as years to come? I think so. So if you look at um, just, you know, you can, you know, and again, to, to um, bring your kids into the discussion here, you know, you can probably attest to the fact that a lot of a lot of um, secondary schools or a lot of high schools are certainly encouraging either the community college or the four year college route. So I certainly don't think we'll see demand um, for students for student housing decelerate just from the simple fact that we've got a lot of students that are entering um, universities. Now, 
um, there are there is a, a, a second part to that equation that could be worth exploring a bit further when we look at how long students are staying in school, i.e. are they staying for a second degree or are they staying for a master's degree? And if they do, then what does that provide to the um, student industry or what, what tailwind does that provide? But just from a simple demographics and a volume perspective, I think the tailwinds look fairly strong for student housing for the foreseeable future. That's good. So are less students staying around for getting their masters? Uh, you know, my, my daughter would, was very interested in doing that. She just graduated from UGA uh, last week. And, uh, oh, congratulations. But, thank you. And, and she talked to a lot of people, advisors, and they said, look, this job market is so strong right now. Uh, mm -hmm. You should really kind of get out in the job market and, and, and d d get your master's uh, you know, in the evenings or something. So, so what are you seeing? Are people staying in school right now or, or not? Yeah, I actually think you prefaced it there perfectly. Um, when the job market's strong, you know, there's not quite as much incentive to stay in school. Uh, perhaps you can even get um, hired on at an employer that'll pay for your master's. So it, if anything, it really incentivizes you to jump into the job market when you do finish that four-year degree. Now, if we do see some economic softness in the future, perhaps job growth slows down, um, you know, perhaps we see more students staying for that that uh, master's degree or, um, you know, perhaps students uh, realizing that maybe they should have entered a different field. So they've already got their core 60 hours completed and think, you know, it's only another two years for me to get another degree. Perhaps I can complement the first degree that I received. So um, I think if we see some economic softness entering the picture or job growth slowing down, maybe we do see more students staying for a little bit longer. But at the moment, again, you prefaced it perfectly that, you know, it's the job market's good. So students are, are entering the, the employment, the employment uh, situation um, with, with a lot of gusto. Yeah. What about opportunities out there, Carl? As you, as you mentioned, you got to look at this on a university by university basis. Are there certain markets where you think there might be some opportunities? Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's funny. This is gonna. I don't, I don't mean for this to sound like a cliche answer, but I think there's opportunities at you know every university across the nation. It just depends on your portfolio strategy. It depends on whether you're on the development side of things or the operational side of things. But um, you know there's 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 really opportunities across the board. And something that we've internally been reflecting on um, and. Uh, compiling the data and analyzing the data, interpreting it for clients is how can we break down this data so that it's more meaningful in identifying those good opportunities. And, and so, for for instance, um, a lot of times we hear of these tier one schools where you know you've got state funded schools that are large universities. Uh, kind of think think your Division one football programs. Um, a lot of developers, owners, and operators have really um, played in that realm um, almost exclusively and have overlooked some of these Division II schools, some of these, again, to, to use the football analogy, some of these FCS schools. But, um, you know, a lot of these schools have just as great of opportunities. I think the challenge there is that when the enrollment is smaller, um, you know, a, a, a new delivery or, you know, more more beds being delivered in one year might be able to sway things a little bit more drastically than it is than, than would happen at a larger university. But um, I think just again, not to sound cliche, but I think there's opportunities at really just about every school across the nation. And what do you see for value trends, pricing trends for these communities, you know, when they sell? 
Yeah, so um, in looking at the capital markets, we've seen cap rates track pretty similarly to what we've seen on the conventional side. Now, the uh, the the cap rate itself, that number, is a bit different than the conventional side of things. But we have seen cap rates compressing. It's harder to get those deals done. Um, you know, a couple years ago, you might have looked at three, four, or five deals before pulling the trigger. Now, maybe you're having to make an offer on a dozen or more. Um, properties before finding that one that really makes sense or finding one that you weren't necessarily outbid on. But price per unit is going up at these properties or price per bed, I suppose, in the in the student world. Um, and that's that's causing some cap rates to compress there. You got it. Well, excellent. Well, Carl, great information and we appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And if you like more information from RealPage, check them out. They're realpage.com, and they have a lot of great information. Um, they also have some great software tools and systems, so check it out. And today with us, we'll have more on the student housing market. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment's brought to you by RedIQ.com. Check it out. They turn data into actionable intelligence for the multifamily world. They're at uh, RedIQ.com. Do check them out. Well, today we're talking about multifamily. We're really talking about student housing. Please welcome my next guest. It's Brent Little. He's president with Fountain Residential. And Brent is here with us in Studio One. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Michael. Good to see you again. Um, one of the first things I'd like to uh, talk about with you, and I think our audience is curious about, we're seeing a lot of development for multifamily and, and a lot of development for retail and everything else and, and mixed-use developments uh, around the country. Um, what are you seeing and what are you guys doing related to student housing? In, uh, are, are you doing uh, a lot of mixed-use in student housing? We are. I think in student housing and in conventional multifamily mm -hmm. housing as well, I think over 50% of all developments these days incorporate some level of, of uh, mm -hmm. retail or restaurants in the mixed-use development as mm -hmm. well. And a lot of that's driven by the cities and a lot of it's driven by just the traffic patterns. Mm -hmm. we're, we're getting more and more urban in the multifamily developments that we're doing and the student housing developments that we're doing. And so if you've got a site that's got 30,000 car trips a day anyway, and you're going to be putting housing there, you want to put retail and restaurants on the first floor as well to capture the economics of that. And do, do the students like it? The students love it. Yeah. The students love it. It's, uh, it's a convenience factor. More and more of the developments we're building are not just close to campus, but fall out of bed to campus. <laughs> and so uh, it's a real amenity to have a breakfast place downstairs. Obviously, Starbucks is number one. That's the, that's the golden ticket if you can get them on the first floor of your development. But pretty much all kind of the neighborhood retail restaurants, uh, bars and pubs, of course, <laughs> yeah. uh, and Applebee's is just great for them. They love the happy hours. So. <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> um, 
but maybe the parents aren't as concerned about bars the restaurant. What what are parents concerned about when they visit these mixed use developments? Is it uh, is it safety? Is it uh, distance from the from the campus? Or I think the two things that we price? see it's <laughs> price is always number one. They have to be yeah. able to afford it, obviously. Yeah. But I think what we see more and more is safety and security uh, for children these days. It's a dangerous world out there, and we all care about our children greatly. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of different systems. Fortunately, they've gotten, with technology, they've gotten more and more affordable and more and more useful, just like we have our ring doorbell cameras on the front of our doors mm -hmm. to see what's happening outside in our security systems inside our homes. We have those same types of safety and security systems within the multifamily development. So you've got access control going into your structured parking garage, you've got it going into the building, you've got it going into the elevator to your floor, you've got it in going all the public areas, you've got it going into your unit and into your individual bedroom. Daddy, and, Dad likes that. And we can track <laughs> exactly the motions of everybody from their key fob and we also have high-definition uh, cameras throughout the property in all the public areas. So we say, we can't say nothing's ever going to happen here. You can't stop everything. Yeah. We'll say we can stop it from happening twice because we'll know who did it. We'll know who the perpetrators are, and we can make sure that doesn't happen again. So that's number one. Number two is that uh, studies and study lounges and the equipment that we outfit those for. We used to have one little study area, kind of like an office area over in a corner. Now we'll have multiple different types for different types. You know, we'll have the whiteboard in there where they have a big group session. We'll have TVs in there where we can plug in and do their PowerPoint presentations. We'll have art rooms. We'll have music rooms. We'll have them on the different levels and in the different parts of the project too, instead of just right there in the leasing office area with printers and copiers and everything else that they need to do their work. Because believe it or not, it's very expensive to go to school now. They come out with a lot of student loans and they need a job. And most of these kids, they really are hard workers and they want to get the job done and they want to graduate. Okay, so they like the uh, study, and obviously everyone likes security, especially uh, parents. Um, what else do uh, students uh, really care about in, in these, in these uh, student housing developments? I think the fitness facility is the other amenity that's very important still. We had for about the last 10 years what we called the amenity arms race. We had <laughs> uh, virtual golf simulators and climbing walls and all lazy rivers and all kinds of things that were crazy things we were putting into these properties. But uh, the one that continues to be used the most and that we really focus on now is the fitness centers. Um, it's, it's a great amenity. People don't want to have to leave their apartment building to go to work out and come back. That's a real hassle. Mm -hmm. And um, their desire to be healthy and stay healthy for the younger generation is, is very significant. So we have cardio, we have strength fitness, we have yoga rooms, we'll have people come in and teach classes. We'll have virtual classes that they can take on the screens, mm -hmm. very similar to what you'd have with you know, Orange Theory or Peloton or something like that. All of that can be programmed. They can come in at any time and work out with themselves or virtually with a class. Yeah, that's great. So it's a 
not uh, your grandpa's uh, fitness center. No, we don't have that machine that, that wiggles your sides like that. I know, that, that but grandma I, used to use. I remember yeah. those. Um, what are you seeing for uh, demand uh, right now as, as you look at demand trends overall for student housing around the country? My, my daughter has uh, just graduated uh, UGA and, and she loves studying and learning. I think she w would love to go to graduate school and she will. Um, but some of her advisors that uh, she took advice from said, hey, the job market is so good right now. Mm -hmm. You might want to consider getting a job and then and then going to grad school. So is that impacting uh, the job market, impacting enrollment, or, or what do you see trend-wise? I think right now we're continuing to see enrollments increase. For example, we have a project that we're turning over at the University of Texas at Arlington mm -hmm. uh, in the next couple of months for fall of this year. Mm -hmm and they have grown over 25% in the last five years. So that's wow. over 5% annualized growth. And they're going to be larger than UT Austin within the next few years. Hmm. And you see that in school after school after school. The largest school in the country right now is UCF, University of Central Florida, which for decades was just a little commuter school outside of Orlando. Mm -hmm. So the growth of these major universities is tremendous. It's fed by the demographics that's going into them. And also, more, it's more and more important these days to have not just an undergraduate degree, but a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. And that's affected the type of product that we're building. We're building more efficiencies, one bedrooms, two bedrooms. Instead of we used to build just all four bedroom units, uh, that were really almost dorm style, and we don't really do that anymore. The last few projects we built, over 50% of the units are one, twos, and threes to attract more of the graduate students, and then maybe they'll stay there when they transition from being a graduate student in and out of the workforce. They don't have to leave. It's a community for all. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and and you said earlier building a lot of developments that are more urban and, and infill and, and kind of in downtown and busy areas and, and sometimes busy streets. So uh, are, are you seeing the tenant mix in your student housing adjust because of that? We are. Uh, we've got a project that we have planned right now in Clemson, South Carolina called Dockside, which is really a com as much of a conventional project as it is a student project. Mm -hmm. It will have two large restaurant spaces overlooking the lake, it's got eight retail spaces right on Tiger Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And of course, we'll have students there because, because it's Clemson, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. But we also have a, more than 50% of the unit mix is one, two, three bedrooms because there's been no new housing built within that marketplace for anyone other than students in the last decade. And it's a great place to live. And we see that more and more that all of these great college towns are also great places to live. Anytime you look for great places to retire, about 70 or 80% of those are college towns, right? Yeah. It's Madison, Wisconsin, it's Austin, Texas, it's Clemson, South Carolina. So you can go, you can live there, you can enjoy the great you know, Southern lifestyle mm -hmm. and go to a football game too, or a soccer game or whatever your, your predilection is. So yeah. it's a great lifestyle, whether you're a student or not. So we're starting to build communities which afford an opportunity for both. Yeah, well that's fantastic. And, uh, and Brent, homeless is something uh, a problem that we look at in a lot of the major cities and maybe all, all places around the country. Is it something that uh, you guys are also dealing with when it comes to student housing? It, it is. There have been several studies by uh, Sarah Goldrick Rapp, who is at Temple University, in the last few years that's drawn attention to this. 
and we at Fountain Residential and a lot of our friends in the business have started taking a harder look at this mm -hmm. on how to address it because the studies show that about one in six students through their undergraduate career are going to be homeless or have housing insecurity at some point in time. Mm -hmm. But they don't call it homelessness because that has a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. So we've coined the term dormlessness because <laughs> then you know exactly yeah. who this person is. Yeah. It's a young kid going to school but they don't have a place to live. Yeah. And it's unfortunate circumstances. They've lost their job or in many instances it's, uh, it's someone who's been in the foster system but they've mm -hmm. aged out of that and now they don't have a foster family anymore to take care of them. Mm. And so there's lots of good places for us to take care of people that can get a meal. Meals are five or ten dollars at a time and we've got a lot of great resources, especially in urbanized areas, to take care of that. But housing is a very expensive proposition. So we're working with the colleges and universities and the markets that we go to and also talking to our friends in the industry and our property managers about doing the same thing because that, that's a huge issue that it's great if you can get into school, you can get a scholarship, Pell Grant, student loans, but if you can't get out of school because you're hungry and you don't have a place to live, it didn't really matter that you got in. We, we got to get them through and right now studies are showing only 20 to 30 percent of those that have those kinds of scholarships are making it through because they aren't having, they have the housing and food insecurity that we need to deal with. Yeah, well that's a good point uh, to think about too because you you might have a, a scholarship to pay the tuition and things but you still got to live, right? right? You still got to live somewhere, you still got to eat and, and it's becoming uh, more and more expensive uh, to do that every day. Definitely. Well thanks for what you guys do uh, there Brent, that's uh, great you guys do it and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Good to see you again, Michael. All right, you too. And uh, thanks for joining us around the world, around the country. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, please uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, and uh, connect with us. And we appreciate you sharing this show. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com.